We're going to read just one verse again today, one that you could probably quote. You know it, but I'm asking the Lord to uh, open up something to us out of this today. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Let's read it together. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, Lord, open our hearts, I pray, that we may receive what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches, and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you, that you draw them to a place of repentance, that not one of them will be lost. And Lord, I pray for our nation. I especially pray, O Lord, during this coming week, that your hand will be upon us that you will help us, that you will have mercy upon us. For that's what we need. I pray this in the only name that matters, the marvelous, matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. There is a scene from my childhood that is indelibly imprinted in my memory. I was about 14 years old at the time, and my father was serving as the pastor of a small church out in the panhandle of Florida. The flat roof of the education building had developed some problems, and so a workday was called for the men of the church to come and repair the roof. At the end of the day, my younger brother and I were on the roof where we'd been helping, you know, just carrying stuff back and forth, and we were finishing the cleanup of some of the scrap roofing materials. Not realizing we were still up on the roof, someone removed the ladder that had been used to gain access to the roof. <clears throat> Once we finished sweeping up, my brother and I went to where the ladder had been, only to discover it gone and us with no way to get down. Now, the roof wasn't that high, and when we called out to dad, he said, well, look, the ladder's already been put away. And then he said, so just jump and I'll catch you. <laughs> My brother and I looked at each other and then said, uh, don't you have any other suggestions? <laughs> My dad did what you did. He just laughed and said words I don't think I'll ever forget. He said, don't you trust me? Jump and I'll catch you. Well, hearing that, my little brother sailed off the roof. And sure enough, dad caught him. He laughed all the way down and landed with this big goofy grin on his face. Then dad looked at me and said, go ahead, son, jump. I'll catch you. I hesitated. Looked at the distance to the ground. Looked at dad. And he asked again, don't you trust me? Don't you believe I can catch you? <laughs> I said, yes, sir. I believe you can catch me. But I'm going to find another way down. <laughs> Somehow, I managed to get off the roof, as evidenced by my presence here today. There was a tree growing alongside the building on the backside, and I managed to make my way off the roof onto the tree and I climbed down the tree to get down. Here it is many, many years later. 
And I still can't help but wonder what it would have been like to jump off that building into the waiting arms of my father. I believed he was capable of catching me. If you, any of you that knew my dad, he was a big, burly guy. He, he was fully capable. I believed he was strong enough. I, I had just seen him do it with my younger brother. I was fully convinced of his ability. But there was something in me that held me back from taking the leap. It's called trust. Faith and trust are closely related, but they aren't the same. Trust is rooted in faith, but it is evidenced by behavior. Trust is faith in action. The apprehension I had as a 14-year-old boy had nothing to do with faith. It had everything to do with trust. It's the same dilemma many people face when it comes to trusting God. It isn't that you don't trust him. Rather, it's that you don't fully trust him. You trust him with part of your life, but not all. You trust him with a portion of your goods, but not everything. You trust him with some of your choices, but some you prefer to make on your own. You trust him, but, but your feelings and desires overwhelm the instruction of his word, and so you go by what you see and feel, not what he says. You trust him, but the voice of the world and the way everybody else thinks drowns out his still small voice, and so you follow the crowd rather than the Lord. The degree of trust you have in him is revealed pretty quickly when adversity strikes. Some tragedy comes and you manage without any difficulty. But let it come in another area or come in another form and the lack of trust begins to show up on your face with the dark circles under your eyes from where you're losing sleep. It shows up in the kind of food you eat, for you can't eat certain foods when your stomach's all tied up in knots or when the ulcer is gnawing at you. Lack of trust shows up in the knotted muscles that won't relax. It shows up in the short temper and the lack of patience. One of the reasons people fail to fully trust is because trusting God requires that you become risk takers. And most are comfort seekers. It's easier to follow the path you see than to trust the unknown you cannot see. It's more comfortable to go with the flow than to trust the promise that takes you into uncharted territory. Am I doing okay so far? Everybody try... Now, the verse that forms the text for the message today is a very familiar one. This verse says that there are two areas of faith and trust that must be solidly secure in order to please God. First of all, it says you must believe God is. God exists. Then you must believe that God rewards. 
that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. Now, most of you listening to this message don't have a problem with the first part. You believe there is a God. You believe God exists. Come on, you do believe that, right? Just making sure I'm preaching to the right crowd, okay? You even believe that God rewards. Where you stumble is in believing that God cares enough about you to respond when you feel like you need him most. One of the reasons this is so difficult is because it's always a risk to trust God. See, when it's God, when it's really God, it will disturb your comfort zone. When it's God, it will stretch your faith. When it's God, it will challenge your preconceived ideas. When it's God, it will rearrange your dreams and plans. When it's God, it requires taking a risk. Now, for the balance of this message, what I want to do is take you through a few very familiar stories from the Bible to show you how this works. At the end of Genesis chapter 11, we are introduced to a retired man living in ancient Ur of the Chaldeans, whom we know today as Abraham. God speaks to Abraham and challenges him with two things. First of all, God reveals that he is the only God. Now, that's contrary to everything Abraham has known up until this point. See, he's living in a polytheistic society, but God challenges him to believe that there is only one true God. Next, God calls him to leave his homeland and journey to another land. He doesn't tell him where he's going. He doesn't tell him how long it's going to take to get there. He doesn't tell him what he's going to find when he arrives. All he tells him is he's going to show him when he gets there. He's going to make of him a great nation. He's going to give him an inheritance of divine blessings. And he's going to bless all the other nations of the world through him and his offspring. So here's the choice. Stay where you are. Refuse to trust God. And nobody outside your immediate family will ever know you even existed. Or dare to take the risk of trusting God and your name will be a household word word among all the nations for the rest of time. I'm not sure on this side of the story that you can fully grasp the implication of the risk he takes. See, you know how the story ends, but when God calls him, he has absolutely no guarantees. All he has is a revelation. All he has is a promise from a God that he's just getting to know. Abraham is being asked to abandon everything that is comfortable, everything that is dear, everything that is recognizable, everything he has always known to be true. Leave it all behind on the basis of the word of a deity with whom he has no experience. Would you do that? I don't know if I would or not. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. 
Throughout the story of Abraham's life, he is called again and again to a life of trust. And every time he is called to trust, there is risk involved. Now, you know, you know the story. He doesn't pass every test. Sometimes he fails miserably. But he gets it right often enough that Abraham is called the father of the faithful. He takes the risk of leaving his homeland, and God brings him to a new land. He takes the risk of trusting God for children, and Isaac is born. He takes the risk of obeying God and offering Isaac as a sacrifice, and the child's life is spared. The ram is caught in the thicket as a substitute sacrifice. A revelation of God as the one who provides is given, and the story becomes a picture of the sacrifice of the Son of God for the sin of the world. Every time Abraham is called upon to trust, it involves great risk to his dreams, his hopes, and his aspirations. I'm telling you, it's risky to trust God. What about Moses? Anybody remember Moses? He's been rescued from the Nile by the daughter of Pharaoh. He's been raised in the palace, but then his life takes a dramatic turn one day when he kills an Egyptian in an effort to preserve the life of one of his kinsmen. When the deed is known, Moses runs for his life, winds up in the desert, tending the sheep of his father-in-law. When we next see him in Exodus chapter 3, he's been in this line of work for 40 years, has quite a business built up. It's not everything he hoped or planned for his life to be, but he's comfortable. Life is predictable. He's good at his job. It's a wonderful life. And then God interrupts all of that and calls to him from the burning bush. Do you remember that part of the story? Remember the part of the story? Do you remember that part of the story? I didn't get enough. Okay. All right. All right. Just check it. Remember that part about Moses asking what sign he can give to the Israelites so they will know God has sent him? You remember that? Well, God asked Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses responds, well, it's a staff. This is one of my favorite parts of the story. God says, throw it down on the ground. He throws it down, and it becomes a snake. Remember what happens next? God says, pick it up by the tail. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Oh, hold on. If I'm Moses, I'm tracking with God up to this point. I mean, you know, once I get over the initial shock of God speaking to me out of a burning bush, well, I can handle everything that happens until it gets to this part. I, for one, want nothing to do with snakes. The moment that stick turns into a snake, I'm out of there. No way do I want to get anywhere near that serpent. If, if some terrible lunacy were to come over me to pick it up, no way would I grab that thing by the tail. That's not the way you do it. I mean, I might pick it up after I clubbed it to death, (laughs) but not while it's slithering around. Uh Uh-uh, no, no, no. That's That's a sure prescription for getting bit. Grab the tail, the head immediately comes around, sinks its fangs into your arm. But God says, trust me, Moses, Pick it up by the tail. And Moses has to make a decision. Ignore it, let the snake go on its way, and leave Israel to her taskmasters. Or take the risk of obedience and become the deliverer of the people of God. This is a defining moment for Moses. It's a moment when he decides to take the risk of trusting God's word 
And he obediently picks the snake up by the tail. And for the next 40 years, he trusts that God is and not, that God cares enough to respond to those who seek him. The story of Israel's deliverance from Egypt. The story of the nation crossing the Red Sea with a wall of water on either side. The story of the first time she came to the point of entering into the promised land of Canaan. The story of her wandering in the wilderness. The story of them coming the second time on the borders of Canaan when she actually crossed the Jordan and entered into the land. In each event, God was trying to teach one lesson. Trust me. You know, the reason Israel wound up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years was because they failed to trust God. They trusted him to get them out of Egypt, but couldn't bring themselves to trust him to get them in to Canaan. Lack of trust robbed them of the blessing. Lack of trust caused them to forfeit the promise. God spent the next 40 years of wilderness wanderings teaching them one lesson. Trust me. Trust me for daily bread. I'll give you manna every morning. Trust me for protection. I'll give you a cloud by day and fire by night. Trust me for provision. I'll see to it that your shoes and your clothes don't wear out. Trust me for defense. I'll cause your enemies to run from you. Over and over again, one event after another for 40 years, there was one lesson, only one. Trust me. That is the lesson for Israel, and I'm persuaded to believe it's the lesson he's trying to teach you. Trust me. But it's always a risk. It always goes against the natural inclination. It always defies conventional wisdom and logic. It always stretches you and challenges you and forces you out of your comfort zone. But if you never learn the lesson, you'll be forced to repeat it over and over and over again. You'll wander in circles. For without this element in place, it is impossible to please God. What about the three Hebrew boys in the book of Daniel? You know them by their Babylonian names they were given in captivity. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king issued a decree that at the sound of the music, everyone must bow down to the image of the golden idol he erected on the plain of Dura. Well, the conductor gave the downbeat, the orchestra played, everyone bowed, all except these three young men. The king was livid. How dare they defy his edict? He called them in said he would give them one more chance and then told them that if they continued to disobey his orders, he said, I'm going to fire you. And, and I do mean fire you. <laughs> the choice was clear. They could stay in their comfort zone, continue in their government jobs, be accepted at court, maintain positions of influence, be part of the system, just just. Let life roll on. Or they could take the risk of trust and see if there really is a God and if he cares enough to respond to those who seek him in their time of need. I love their response. It's in Daniel chapter 5, or excuse me, yeah, chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able 
to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Here's my favorite part. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. There it is. The risk of trusting. They stake their very lives on the fact that there is a God. And this God cares enough to respond to those who seek him in their time of need. But even if he doesn't respond, don't miss this. Even if he doesn't respond like they want him to by delivering them from the fire, that doesn't change their decision to trust. No wonder God is pleased. No wonder God comes through with miraculous protection. No wonder when the king looks over into the furnace after having the young men thrown in, he doesn't see three clumps of ashes, but the lads are loose and walking around. And there's a fourth man with them who looks like the son of God. I'm telling you, that's the kind of trust that pleases God. The trust that dares risk it all for him. Listen, listen to me today. Trusting God doesn't mean you won't get thrown into the fire. But if you are, the only thing the fire will burn is the cords that have you bound. The Lord, the Lord won't just protect you and he won't just preserve you from the fire, but he'll bring you through the fire. And when he does, then he'll promote you higher than you ever were before. Let me tell you about one more. This one from the New Testament. Some of you say, ah, it's all Old Testament stuff, Pastor. No, no. New Testament. His name is Peter. The disciples are in a boat out in the middle of the lake going across to the other side in obedience to the word of Jesus. In the middle of the night, a violent storm blows in threatening to capsize the vessel. Just when all hope seems lost, something is spotted in the middle of the lake coming toward them walking on the water. Everybody is frightened. They don't recognize who or what it is. They think it's a ghost. Jesus calls out and says, don't be afraid. It's just me. Well, Peter, ever the impetuous one, gets this wild hair of an idea and shouts out, Lord, since it's you, invite me to come to you on the water. <laughs> what were you thinking? <clears throat> I just imagine Jesus with a smile and a chuckle calling back, come on. Suddenly, it's decision time. Stay in the boat, and it's what you've always known. Stay in the boat, and it's comfortable. Stay in the boat, it's security. Stay in the boat, you're one of the guys. Stay in the boat, and life continues just as it always has. Or heed the call, get out of the boat, and take the greatest risk of your life. You know, most people, when they think of this story, they remember Peter sinking. What they fail to remember is that he not only walked on the water toward Jesus, but then walked with Jesus back to the boat. Peter walked on the water twice. So until you've done it at least once, don't be so quick to dismissively judge Peter. Just saying. I've always wondered what the reaction of the other disciples was to Peter. I mean, did they mock him for his audacity? Did they smirk and roll their eyes at him behind his back? Did they ridicule him for getting all wet? Or did one of them come over to him and with a sense of wonder in his voice, ask, Peter, 
What was it like? You know, this message is a little different from most of the messages I bring. But I really believe I've come to this pulpit today with a word from the Lord for you. Somebody who hears this message is going to dare to believe that the Lord is speaking to you. And you're going to receive this as a word for your life. Here's his word to you today. The Lord is calling you to risky living. He's calling you to dare to believe his word. He's calling you to dare to take the risk and trust him. Now, I don't know where the opportunity for trust is going to come for you. Some of you are going to be called, to, called upon to trust God with your finances like you've never had to trust him before. Some of you are going to have to trust God with an issue on your job or maybe even with a career change. Some of you are going to have to trust God with a schooling choice. Some of you are going to have to trust God with a relationship. Some of you are going to have to trust God with your health. Some of you are going to have to trust God with a decision that will literally change the course of your life. Some of you may be in the midst of one of those challenges right now. And the great temptation is to take the easy way. The temptation is to follow the conventional wisdom. Follow what is normal for the culture. Find a more comfortable path. But the Lord is calling you to take the risk of trust. Trust God to be who he says he is. Trust him to care enough to respond with the help of his presence to those who seek him in their time of need. Before I conclude this message, I want to tell you about one risk that is issued to each and every person who hears this message. It's a risk to trust God, not for health or wealth or position or influence. It's a call to risk trusting God for your eternity. Conventional wisdom says that you must somehow get good enough to earn the favor of God. The truth is that as good as you are, there's no way you can ever be that good. But God has made provision for your eternal destiny to be secure. It's when you come by faith in Jesus and accept his death on the cross as payment for the penalty of your sin. It goes against everything your rational mind would argue. But the call of the Heavenly Father is issued to you today to take the risk and trust Jesus as your only hope of salvation. It's a call to trust Jesus when he says in John 14 and 6, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. It's a call to trust the words of Acts 4 and 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Trust him. Surrender your life to him. Not just a portion, but all of it. Trust him. Believe that he exists and that he cares enough to respond with the grace of his help to those who seek him in the time of need. Trust Jesus. It's the most important lesson you will ever learn. It's the most important decision you will ever make. If you're willing to take the risk of trust, I want to pray with you today. I, I, I believe we can do it safely if, if we're smart about it. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand and if you have an area 
where the Lord is speaking to you about trusting him, I'm going to invite you to come forward and stand here in this altar area. Maybe you're someone who needs to make the decision to trust Jesus by surrendering, surrendering your life to him. Maybe you're facing a decision and you're anxious. You, you know what Jesus wants you to do, but it's going to take you out of your comfort zone into the place of the unknown where you have to fully rely on him. I don't know what it would be. There are, there are a lot of ways this happens. See, it happens when the society says it's normal to move in with your partner and live together, but you decide you're going to trust God's word more than your own desires and you wait for marriage to be intimate. It requires a risk of trust. It happens when your desires and everything in your flesh wants intimacy with a person of the same gender, but God's word says same gender relationships are prohibited. And you choose that you will deny your flesh in order to put your trust in God's word and God's plan. It happens when, when you hoped and worked and voted for the country to go one direction, but another party is in power and you have to decide to trust God even when your flesh screams for another path. Come on, somebody. Is this where we're living? It happens when the doctor gives a prognosis that is unfavorable. It happens when you suffer an injustice on your job or in the marketplace. It happens when you endure persecution for your faith. A lot of places we're called to trust God in the midst of adversity. I wanna pray with you who are in a place where you're being called upon to trust the Lord. It begins with the decision. I'm going to trust God. But that decision is then bolstered and strengthened with prayer. Stand with me, please. And if you're coming to surrender your life to Jesus and trust him with your eternity, or if you're just coming to trust him with the decision that goes against your comfort level, if there's some place where you sense the Lord calling you to trust him, then right now, without any additional prompting, I just want to invite you to come. Bring that to the Lord in prayer. If the Lord is calling you to a place of trust. Thank you, Lord.